0: The scripture reading today can be found in your pew Bible on page 1015. I'll be reading 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see a respectful and pure conduct. and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. This is God's word.
1: Wives, be subject to your own husbands. These are not popular words today. They've been misinterpreted as meaning men are superior to women. They have been pictured as marital enslavement and called chauvinistic and misogynistic. Yet, these are God's words. They're enough to have made some people leave Christianity. This morning, I just ask that each of us open ourselves to the possibility that God has commanded us in this way. And if God is loving and he is good, then these words are good. And they are the way in which a marriage will thrive and husband and wives will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Our Father, capture our hearts this morning with your vision for what marriage is. Lord, make it not just that we are going to grin and bear it, And we're going to live this out because you've given a command. But Lord, let us enter into your very mind and heart and see marriage and feel marriage as you as meant it to be, so that these commands would not be a burden, but a joy. In Christ we pray, amen. Now, this sermon looks like it's about marriage. And so many of us here are married or say, well, I better pay close attention. But if you're single, this message is also for you. For one day, you may be married, even if you're a teen, and think, no, that's so far away, I wouldn't consider that. Even now, God wants to start building in you and in us uh, an understanding of his design for marriage. And if you've gone through a divorce or you've, you've failed... In marriage, like all of us have, Uh, know God's grace. I'm thankful for the song that Drew chose this morning, which said, Our sins, though they are many, His mercy is more. And uh, I think we all need to hold on to that as we uh, look at our marriages or past marriages. And even if uh, you would never consider marriage again, uh, this passage is for you because... It's actually about more than marriage. Peter puts it here because he is delineating the various ways in which we need to live out a testimony for Jesus Christ in a world that is resistant to Christ and often hostile to it. And so we will glean principles from this message in regards to how do we live and how how do we reflect Christ in a post-Christian culture? A couple of years before I met my wife, Karen, I went on a date with a woman who had a feminist streak in her. And when she learned that I was a pastor, she immediately started thinking of verses like this. And uh, so she, she brought it up to me and said, Do you, you really believe this? And so I asked her, I said, just think about this for a while. What if a wife had a husband who loved and cherished, treasured his wife, that he made much of his life about her, that his desire was to lift her up, to hold her up, to consider her needs and to meet her needs as best he could, that he was wise and could guide her in life, understood her, And always chose what was best for her over what he, what was best for himself. Would this command be so bad? She said, no. And she even wanted to go out on another date. (laughs) This, This picture can be beautiful when we understand it, if we could live it out. Unfortunately, we probably have never seen this type of marriage fully lived out. And that's why we're resistant to it. But there's an even greater beauty in God's design and the testimony that marriage is meant to be. Marriage is a testimony to and is to be an experience of the dynamic relationship that is going on in the Trinity, especially between Father and Son. And in marriage, God is calling us not only into an intimacy with him, but an intimacy with each other that is as deep and life-giving as that between God the Father and God the Son. In Genesis 1:27, it said, reads, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we are all created in the image of God, and therefore, we're going to find fulfillment when we reflect God, when we reflect the character of God, just as a a mirror reflects our images, we are to reflect the very character of God and we become the people God intended us to be, the more and more we reflect that image and follow the will of God. But notice, he doesn't stop just saying, you are made in the image of God. He said that image of God is also in the creation of male and female. See, I can only reflect the image of God fully in relationship with someone else. Because the Trinity is first and foremost a relationship among God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is an eternal love relationship where they mutually treasure and glorify, lift up each other. Therefore, if I am going to reflect the image of God I need to be in relationship. And God has designed two relationships and specifically in order to reflect the Trinity and the glory that's in the Trinity. One is marriage, the other is church. You see, there are three relationships in the Bible where more than one, a multitude, are all called one. The Trinity, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, are one God, yet distinct in personality and in roles the church are many members but one body in marriage there are two male and female who become one in marriage and it's just... and so marriage is to reflect that relationship and in that relationship there are complementary roles. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so you see here in the picture is that God the Father is the head, he is the leader of God the Son. They are equal in every possible way, mutually loving, mutually exalting. However, there's a distinction in the role. The Father sent the Son, and the Son followed and obeyed and carried out the will of the Father. So too, this relationship is likened that The husband is the head of the wife. And so in this complementary relationship, the beauty of the Trinity is to be exposed. Uh, Kathy Kellers writes in the book uh, The Meaning of Marriage. I cannot understand myself if I try to ignore the way God designed me. Or if I despise the gifts he has given me to help me fulfill my calling. If the postmodern view, postmodernism to view that gender is wholly a social construct, if that were true, then we could follow whatever path seems good to us. If our gender is at the heart of our nature, however, We risk losing a key part of ourselves if we abandon our distinctive male-female roles. Philippians 2 is one of the primary places where the dance of the Trinity becomes visible. The Son defers to the Father, taking the subordinate role. The Father accepts the gifts, but then He exalts the Son to the highest place. Each wishes to please each other, each wishes to exalt the other, love and honor are given accepted and given again there's no inequality of ability or dignity the son's role shows not his weakness but his greatness the wife's role is to mirror god the son christ's role with the father both the relationships the relate in the Trinity and in marriage are to be like a divine dance. Now if you're going to have a beautiful dance, an expressive dance together, you join together as one and you move as one. But somebody has to lead. If both are trying to lead, you're not going to move as one and the dance is going to fall apart. And so that's what God has called us to in marriage. Now, we struggle with this. We do not live it out well. And it's not because this picture of marriage is unattractive or unfulfilling. It's because in a marriage, a broken person is married to another broken person. And so we're going to struggle. See, when sin entered the world, the world was broken. Our relationship with God was destroyed. Our relationship with ourselves was twisted. And our relationship with each other was broken as we became self-centered rather than other-centered. And the relationship within marriage changed from being a complement to a conflict. Genesis 3.16 reads, as God speaks to Eve, the woman, part of the curse, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He, but he shall rule over you. And what we see is a fallenness in both the woman and the man, particular to marriage. The woman is going to resist, naturally resist, the husband's leadership. and The husband is going to use that role of leadership to dominate his wife, to rule over her. So that's the dynamic that's going inside each one of us as we enter into marriage. And as much as we want to follow Christ and live this out, we're going to struggle with that sin that's within us. So, let's look at 1 Peter 3 and what it's telling us now about marriage. We read again, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, Peter begins with the word likewise. Likewise to what's preceded. And Peter has given us this beautiful call to be a testimony to the magnificence of God. In a, in a pre-Christian culture then, for us today in a post-Christian culture, where we are going against the grain of the culture. Things are not going to go smoothly. He has spoken to all of us and said, you need to be subject to the government, respectful of the governmental leaders. Then he turns to the issue of slavery, uh, servanthood, which we often equate to a, a business relation or a workplace, where it says, servants be respectful, be subject to your masters. And now he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your husband. Now at first glance, we'd say, what's the comparison between marriage, uh, servanthood, and governmental authority? And we might think it's be subject, be subject, be subject. However. A couple verses later, he says, likewise husbands, and he's not calling them to be subject to anybody in this verse. So the connection really is about our motivation. What is our motivation in each of these arenas of life? And that motivation should be the glory of God. We read it in uh, 1 Peter 3.8. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. This verse precedes all of those relationships we described. It governs all of them. The reason he is telling us to do this is that by living out God's design, because you are God's Chosen race, you are God's priesthood. You are the one who is going to display to the world who God is. You are going to be a connector between this world and God. Because of that, live out God's design in each area of these lives as a testimony to the excellencies of God himself. So how do we do that? Peter says, wives be subject to your own husbands. Now notice, he says be subject to your own husbands. He's not saying be subject to anyone else's husband. Why? Because, again, marriage is to reflect the Trinity. Not all of life reflects the Trinity. Marriage and the church reflect the Trinity. And so, wives, because of this high calling and the beauty of what we are to live out. Be subject to your own husbands. So, what does it mean now to be subject to? The Greek word is tasso, It's a combination of two words. Tasso means to order. It's kind of the way life is ordered. There's an order. Hupo means underneath. And so it's order your life underneath your husband. Simply put, husbands are to lead their wives, wives are to follow that leadership. It's important to understand what submission is not because it is so uh, poorly understood. Wayne Grudem, in his commentary, gives us a list, and he says, Submission does not mean putting your husband before Christ. It does not mean giving up independent thought. It does not mean giving up efforts to influence or guide your husband. It doesn't mean that you give in to every demand of your husband, particular if it goes against God's will. It's not based on superior intelligence or competency not based on being afraid of your husband and it is not inconsistent with equality with your husband It simply means that the wife lets her husband lead Um, again god the father god the son are equal in every possible way so too husbands and wives are just as equal then paul continue uh, peter continues and i jump a couple verses to because he peter gives an example of submission and in this he is essentially saying is the godly woman throughout the old testament followed this pattern and then he highlights sarah herself and we read for this is how holy women who hoped in god used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, what's what's he talking about here? Why is he using this example? And so we need to turn and look for the passage that says, "Where where in the Bible does Sarah call Abraham Lord? And there's only one place. And the context is, she's just heard God say, Sarah's going to have a baby. She's going to have that child that's going to be a blessing to the world. And she's well, well, well past childbirth years. And so her response is, she laughs. Genesis 18. So Sarah laughed to herself. This is crazy. And she said, after I'm, I'm all worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have this pleasure? She's laughing at the promise of God, which most of us may, probably would. But in that, she says, my Lord is old. And Abraham is old. My husband is old. She said, my Lord is old. My leader My husband leader is old. But notice, she doesn't make a public proclamation of this. This is what's going on inside of her heart. And what what this really shows us is that so often we look at that word, be subject to your husband, and we see it as an activity, an action. I need to do this, 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 and subjecting myself to the husband. But this points out that our hearts need to be captured by this. If our hearts aren't captured by the beauty of God's design in marriage, this is going to be a burden that we have to bear. And it shouldn't be. God's laws are never to be a burden. Christ said, "My, my burden is easy, my load is light. And that's the case when we Our hearts unite with God's heart in understanding his command. And so we need to have our hearts captured by the beauty of God's design in marriage so that, like Sarah, in our own hearts, we want to follow God's word. So, that's what submission is. Why should a wife Be submissive. We've already talked about it because it's God's design for marriage. And ultimately, marriage thrives when we follow the design of the great designer. Secondly, it says that, uh, verses 1 and 2 again, wives be subject to your husband so that some of them may be one. So, if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. And what he's saying is, yes, your marriage, the way you live out your marriage, is a testimony to the world, but it's also a testimony to your husband. And if you have a husband who's not obedient to the word, and it could be somebody who is not yet a Christian, it could be somebody who's, who's not walking the way he should in his Christian life, it's very possible that you, by your behavior, will win your husband toward Christ without a word. Now, he isn't saying never share the gospel, don't ever speak anything spiritual. What he's saying is what are you depending upon to have an impact on your husband's spiritual life? Is it your words? And You believe your words are going to do the trick and so we have words and more words and more words and more words till it ends up sounding like it's nagging? Or is it your life following Christ in such a way that your husband sees a dynamic in you, a transformation in you that draws him to Jesus Christ? And Peter says that can happen. It's not a promise, but that can be what happens when you live out um, God's design for marriage. And of course, as we said earlier, it is a testimony to the world. Now, we might scratch our heads at that one, because our world reads that verse, and again, very resistant to it. They, when we they see Christians citing it, living it out, they say that's a very antiquated, ancient way of living. But what if they saw a marriage the way it should be lived out? You know, how do we stand out today as Christians? We used to stand out because of social justice. they There is engaged in social justice, if not more so than us. Peter's captured two ways we stand out. One is, how do we handle persecution? Secondly, our marriages, especially in a culture where marriage is such a struggle there's so many divorces and a lot of people stay together for the kids what if they could see a marriage like god designed that would be a testimony so how can a wife possibly win her husband what are the qualities of a wife who is submissive to her husband and he points out first of all wives are to be respectful and morally pure, pure conduct. Let them see this. Um, I've often heard people who teach on marriage, Christians who teach on marriage saying, wives want to be loved. Husbands want to be respected. And in my marriage counseling, I think husbands and wives both want to be loved and respected. But there is a, a bit of a balance there. So, wives, your husbands need to be respected. We always deserve to be respected. But God has called us to have that impact on our husband, to respect our husbands in such a way that that they feel... uh, not diminished, not nagged, but lifted up by their wives. And of course their conduct is to be pure, uh, morally pure. They follow God's ways, especially uh, in sexuality. And then he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is God's, in God's sight is very precious. Okay. Um, every commentator you read is clear that this is not saying a woman could never put on makeup, can't put on jewelry, uh, or wear clothing. Because that's what it, li- it, it literally says that, right? Don't put on clothing, right? Uh, no, he is comparing or contrasting the values that we put on things in life. Contrasting the value that we put on the external, whereas God values the internal. God looks at the heart. Uh, Back in uh, about the mid-1800s, Soren Kierkegaard, philosopher, he wrote a parable about two robbers who entered a jewelry store. But instead of stealing things, they they did something else. They switched the price tags. So, uh, they took all the high-priced tags off the expensive jewelry and put it on the costume jewelry. And then they took the price tags from the costume jewelry and put it on the expensive jewelry. So, the next door, the jewelry store opened, for business as usual, and uh, for the next several weeks, nobody noticed that folks were buying $10,000 rings for a few dollars, and that others were buying $9 necklaces for thousands of dollars. Kierkegaard thought it described his country well and our world well, My point is obvious, isn't it? The people of my day have no ability to tell the truly valuable from the virtually worthless. He said that in the Uh mid-1800s. That's what Peter's getting at in his statement. What are you valuing? Have you allowed the world to influence your values and trade the price tags? It is the inner person the inner beauty, that's so much more valuable than the outer beauty. It is precious in God's sight. And so that's what he is calling women to live out. And in it he says specifically, the inner beauty, beauty is a gentle and quiet spirit. Notice he doesn't say gentle and quiet voice. He's not saying women have to be quiet. He's saying it's a quiet spirit. It's a spirit who is not trying to be the life of the party, get all the attention upon herself. But the first word is really gentle, is meekness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength. Jesus Christ was meek. He was not weak. What it meant was... He was willing to give up his rights as God himself and put on humanity. It means he was able to stand before governors and soldiers and religious leaders who mocked him and disrespected him and he did not demand his rights because there was something more valuable, us. And so in his meekness, he took it all put everything of itself away because he wanted everything of us and for us. And so a wife being meek is not weakness, it is strength to be able to put aside her interest to follow the husband. Um, Well, How can a woman do this? We go back to 2 Peter 1.9, when it talks about you are a chosen race, you are a royal priesthood, you are the people of God. You can do this because of your identity of who you are in Christ. To be submissive does not mean that you lower your self-esteem. It means that you discover who you truly are in Jesus Christ. That gives you the strength. Not your position. Who you are is not based on your p- position or role. It's based on the fact that you are adopted as daughters by Jesus Christ. You are beloved by him. Keep that identity before you. It's an identity much greater than the one that our post-Christian culture is calling you to. He now turns to the husband's role. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, Again, likewise. He's saying, husbands, This is all about your testimony to show the magnificencies of God by living out God's design in marriage. And you have a very critical, important, and servanthood role. He said, live with your wives in an understanding way. Literally, this means to live according to knowledge. Husbands, live according to knowledge toward your wives. First of all, know and understand God's design for marriage. Know your role is servant leadership, not servanthood, not dominance and authority. It means you understand what makes your wife tick. You understand her goals, her aspirations, her gifts, her feelings, what hurts her. What lifts her up? Men don't naturally uh, try to understand these things about their wives or very often other people. Wives are much better at this and so he's calling us to do this, to understand, live in the understanding way according to knowledge, God's knowledge about marriage and a greater understanding about who your wife is. Then it says, showing honor to women as weaker vessels. Okay. Showing honor. Now, it's natural for a man who is in the role, and we see this, we've seen this in uh, dec- uh, century after century, we've seen it in culture after culture, how men can take their role and dominate. And in that dominance, they want to be honored and respected, but they disrespect and dishonor their wives. Peter says, you need to honor your wives. You need to lift her up. When you speak, how do you speak publicly about your wife? Do you lift her up? Do you praise her? Do you, uh, you speak in adorning terms of your wife? How, what do you speak in your own heart about your wife? Do you honor her. Yesterday and even this morning my wife twice said to me, you're being dismissive of me. She was fe- feeling disrespected and dishonored. Now here I am working on this sermon, it Says, honor your wives. I nice am failing. I need God's grace. I need her grace. And I needed her forgiveness. So, man, we, we struggle with this. We need to keep it as a priority. Now, uh, this next phrase can disturb a lot of people when it says that wives are weaker vessels. I believe he's referring, first of all, to, to physical strength. He said, Men, you need to understand you are, by and large, men are physically stronger and can be very dominant, and we can use that physical strength, and some use it in abusive ways, horribly abusive ways. And um, there's, it's projected that there's three to six million women abused every year, physically abused every year. Why? Because men are stronger. That should not be the case. Men are warned against using their physical strength, physically on their wives, certainly, but even emotionally, trying to dominate and cower them. That's a travesty for men to do that. It is not God's design. God's design is beautiful. To honor your wife is a weaker vessel. Another aspect of this weaker vessel could be the fact that she's in a weaker role. She's supposed to be the follower, not the leader. So therefore, all the more we should honor her. And we think again, God the Father, God the Son. God the Son followed the Father. He was in a weaker position. You know what's going to happen at the end? It says, every tongue on heaven and on earth and below the earth will bow before him and praise him as Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus is highly exalted by his Father. Husbands, we play the role of the Father. We should highly exalt our wives and honor them. Husbands are to be servant leaders. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I go back to Kathy uh, Keller. She says, in God's kingdom, leaders are called to be servant leaders. Jesus defined, or more truly defined properly, headship and authority, taking the toxicity of it away, or at least for those who live by his definition rather than by the world's understanding. Jesus as master made himself into a servant who has washed his disciples' feet, thus demonstrating the most dramatic way that authority and leadership mean that you become a servant. You die to self in order to love and serve the other. Jesus redefined authority as servant authority. Both men and women get to play the Jesus role in marriage. Jesus is the sacrificial authority for husbands in in the order of Christ as head of the church. Jesus in his sacrificial submission as a wife, as the son does to the father. Peter tells us why. Again, it's the testimony to the world. It's the design, living out the design of marriage. But it is also so that our prayers may not be hindered. It's interesting that he picks this out uh, among all of the sins to say, your prayers will be hindered If you are not that servant-loving authority, living that out as a wife, why is this such a, a large sin in God's eyes that it would inhibit our prayers? It's because it is the perfect picture of the eternal love relationship, complementary relationship among the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We have a high calling today in this world because to say wives, submit to your husbands is unpopular and misrepresented. The only way our world can get clarity is for us to live it out to the glory of God. Our Father, lead us in this. Lead me, God. As clearly have failed in this, even this morning. Lead each of us, because we love you, but also because we love those you've connected us to in marriage. May we, in marriage, in, in our jobs, in our roles, in our neighborhoods, in our submission to government, may we be willing to do it for your glory. Amen.